Hello, listeners. It has been a while since we've put out a podcast, at least three or four weeks, I think. Yeah. A little bit delayed for a couple reasons. We had a weekend that we were out of town. Mm-hmm. We were up in Indiana for mm-hmm. Tim's daughter Rochelle's wedding. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. Skipped back really quick to... To come back to batten down the house for, for Irma, Irma. Coming through. <laughs> survived all of that. Yeah, well, then... and barely survived having a week with no power, so therefore yeah. no air conditioning in the house. <laughs> Living in Central Florida. Oh my god! Hot, gosh. humid, sticky Central Florida. It was like seven days and nights. Degrees. Sleeping out on the floor with all the windows and doors open, just trying to get some breeze blowing over our bodies. Oh my gosh, it was awful. <laughs> but you know, again, we had it way better than most people. Yeah, so. yeah. Even as we're Recording this down in the islands, Puerto Rico. Oh my gosh, they just got destroyed. Yeah. It's so sad. Just they already had all those problems. So. They'd give anything to have our hardship. Right? <laughs> yeah, our hardship was not hard. It was just super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And we came in to record this last week, and 15 minutes before we were scheduled to record this podcast, I came down with my dizzy vertigo weird thing that the doctors have never been able to pinpoint. So I just live with it. It's exciting and fun. Yeah, we, we both live with it. Yes, you it's do fun. too. Um, yeah, I came in to do the podcast. I was like, doop, doop, walk into his office. He's laying on the couch like, Ugh. I can't do it. And I was like, oh, no, not again. That's It's so funny because I always know. Yeah. I always know. You never have to tell me. I look at you and go, well, yeah, oh, yeah, again. I'm sweating like a pig. And <laughs> can't open my eyes because the world's spinning around. And yeah. it's it's lovely. Yep. Great stuff. But mm-hmm. we wanted to talk about some of the misunderstandings about a fair recovery. Mm-hmm. Things that people think about, opinions people have about recovery. And maybe for some of you listening who are trying to figure out what does a fair healing look like and what can I expect? What are the things that are true and reasonable and real as opposed to those things that are maybe just opinions that aren't necessarily right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of times. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I heard the words, is that normal? <laughs> yeah. You know, because that's really what everybody wants to know is like, is what I'm experiencing normal or am I somehow messed up in a way that's really weird? And <laughs> yeah. am I an anomaly? And almost always, of course, the answer is, oh, absolutely, it's normal. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some of those normal, true things as they relate to a fair recovery. Uh, Before we do that, if you don't have one or both of the books that I put out, I mean, those are my best attempts at really describing what good, healthy, a fair healing looks like. One book is written specifically to the betrayed partner. It's a whole manual filled with exercises and worksheets, 14 chapters. That's available in a print copy PDF download or Kindle version. And then I've also got a ebook couples guide also has exercises, but it goes through the whole process of a fair healing from a perspective of couples who want to work towards a restored and renewed marriage. Both of those are available. In fact, if you buy the Betrayed Guide, you get the Couples Guide free, but you can buy the Couples Guide separately. If you want more information about those manuals, that's at affairhealingbook.com fairhealingbook.com. And I'm working on the manual for unfaithful spouses. That'll be coming huh, probably next year. Sometime, <laughs> the way things, things go. That's a lot of work. I it mean, I, I'm impressed. I, mm-hmm. I just, I don't think I would have the stick of actually finishing. That's a really good work that you did. So it's not like you can just pop those things out. <laughs> nope. It takes I wish a while. It were that easy. Yeah. So let's talk about some affair recovery myths. Let's do it. 
Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim and Sharon Tedder. Sharon, as we were talking about this, you zeroed in on one of the common affair recovery myths. One of the ones I zeroed in on is that affairs are evidence of a bad marriage. Mm. And the reason I say that an affair is not evidence of a bad marriage is because my first marriage had an affair happen in it two months after we got married. Well, it went bad pretty quick then, (laughs) didn't it? (laughs) So that's where I go, no, I don't think that's it. Also, much later, I found out that my ex-husband had probably been in inappropriate relationships with women even when we were dating. Well, that false idea that some people have that if someone has an affair, then something was wrong with the marriage. Right. That stigmatizes the betrayed partner. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mean, that's why sometimes they're so embarrassed and shamed, even though they're Mm -hmm. not the one that had the affair. Mm -hmm. There's this assumption, well, people are going to think that I was a bad spouse. Right. I'll tell you, in my first marriage, I just remember, I'll never forget the day he told me about that first affair. I just was in shock because it was so... Soon we were supposed to be newlyweds, you know, so it was such a weird mind trip on me How could I be this big of a failure that he is cheating on me already, you know? Sometimes problems in the marriage or relationship are contributing factors to vulnerabilities It's Mm -hmm. important for a couple they're going to work towards renewing and restoring their marriage Mm -hmm. They've got to understand those things, right? Sometimes there are vulnerabilities there, but not all the time, right? And even when there are those aren't the reasons for the affair. No, it's just a context in which someone chooses to be unfaithful. Right. But many times the more significant vulnerabilities are not even about the marriage itself. Right. So. No, absolutely. I know that my ex-husband had a lot of pain in his life. He had a lot of um, really difficult things happen to him as he was growing up developmentally as, as, as a young child. And then also as an adolescent, he had some pretty intense experiences. So that played into why he had this chronic problem mm-hmm. with finding attention with other females. Um, That's why. It wasn't that our marriage was bad. It's that he brought with him a lot of issues that he had not worked on. Yeah. So some affairs happen in the context of marriages that are in trouble. Some affairs happen in context of marriages that are actually pretty good Mm -hmm. as far as the way the couples are relating to each other Mm -hmm. and so forth. In fact, I've had people who've had affairs come in and say, my marriage wasn't bad. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't about that. And so that's, Mm -hmm. that is a myth. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me talk about another myth, and some listeners may be surprised that I'm mentioning this as a counselor. Mm-hmm. I'd state the myth this way. The first step in a fair recovery should be marriage counseling. I don't think that's necessarily right. Right. But I think a lot of people conclude once an affair is disclosed or uncovered, that couple better get into marriage counseling right away. Mm. So what should they do? Well, let me tell you why that's not always the recommended first step for a couple. I mean, I think sometimes, especially the betrayed spouse, in their pain and their fear and their desperation thinks, man, I've got to haul this unfaithful partner off to a marriage counselor and let's get this marriage fixed again. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that can actually complicate the process rather than help bring clarity to it. Especially if you have the person that was in the affair or maybe still is in the affair, Mm -hmm. uncertain about what they want, Mm -hmm. not ready to take on the responsibility that they need to take for reestablishing truthfulness and trust in the relationship. So when a couple heads into marriage counseling, 
in that scenario, they can be wasting time and money trying to work on something when they don't have the same objective. Yeah. So there's a tension in the session. Mm -hmm. Couples should not enter couples counseling or marriage counseling until there is an agreed upon goal between the two of them. Right. If there's no agreed goal, then the counseling should either be individual counseling or discernment counseling. And we've talked about discernment counseling before. I'll put the link in the podcast page for those that want to know about discernment counseling. So there needs to be an agreed upon goal. Secondly, the thing I'd want to say about why the first step in a fair recovery should be marriage counseling is a myth is because before you get to marriage counseling, I mean, I think when people think about marriage counseling, it's about how do we build a good marriage? Mm -hmm. Before you can get to that kind of counseling, you've got to do some trauma counseling first. Right. I mean, you've got to do some relationship trauma counseling. You've got to do a fair recovery counseling, which is a different kind of Mm -hmm, counseling. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like exactly that. And the analogy I think of is like, if you are bleeding internally, you know, a surgeon can stitch up your skin and be like, okay, we're done. But if you're bleeding internally. Now let's talk about living a healthy lifestyle. Yes, and... let's just go and look, it looks much better on the outside now. You're not bleeding out into the room. You know, like it's that kind of thing. You can't be repairing and moving forward with the healthy marriage when that crisis has not been addressed, right. you know, because everybody feels like that's what they want. They want it to look and feel better and normal mm -hmm. again. So when people believe that I've got to move quickly towards that remedy and they do that by seeking out hey, who's, who's a top marriage counselor in the area mm -hmm. and they go to someone who may be really good at marriage counseling, but not necessarily equipped to do good affair work, mm -hmm. then a lot of times they're missing something necessary for the healing process. And sometimes those couples come to us afterwards and saying, man, we went right into all this marriage stuff, but there are things that we have not dealt with that mm -hmm. keep getting in our way. Yeah. So that's what we mean when we say that jumping right into marriage counseling is a belief that may or may not be true. In fact, there should be caution in jumping to marriage counseling. A, if either partner remains uncommitted or uncertain about working on the marriage. Mm -hmm. B, if the focus of counseling is going to turn too quickly to marriage repair before they've dealt with the trauma of the betrayal. Mm -hmm. Or C, if the affair is still active. Mm -hmm. In other yeah. words, if an affair is going on or you suspect it's going on, you as the betrayed partner need to be very careful about hauling your <laughs> unfaithful spouse into counseling. They may do it because they feel embarrassed or shameful, or maybe they're still holding secrets or whatever, but an active affair is always going to sabotage couples work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How can you possibly be fixing the marriage when you have this affair going on? Yeah. Like... So if the affair is going on, go to individual counseling mm -hmm. if you need to. Maybe a good discernment counseling sure. can happen if an affair is happening, but don't start couples counseling or marriage counseling in the traditional sense yet. Another myth that I've heard a lot is hiding painful affair information is better than causing more hurt. Hmm. You know, we talk a lot about trickle truth yeah. and how somebody tells their spouse what happened and stops talking and the betrayed spouse, you know, goes from there thinking, okay, this is the, this is what happened. Right. Then starts, you know, going through the trauma of it, going through the healing, working through it. And then two months later, something else, some other detail comes out. 
And it almost always does. <laughs> yeah. And and what happens is the betrayed spouse feels like that's another betrayal. Even mm -hmm. though it's another piece of the thing they already knew, right. they feel like because it wasn't told right at the outset that it is, it's happened again right. or something. And the unfaithful partner is thinking, why do I need to give more information? It's not going to be good news. It's going to hurt them or make them angry. So I'll just admit to this much and hide the rest. Yeah. And I get that, and it seems like that would be a merciful thing to do, but it, it doesn't always work out that way because it legitimately feels like, oh my gosh, this is a new thing. This just happened. So it is a tricky area, though, because again, what if there was a detail that gets told that then the betrayed spouse like can't get through? Yeah. For... Well, that's why we encourage being cautious about details, yeah. even though the betrayed spouse is so hurt and confused, they tend to just want to know everything and would also often state the case that learning the truth is probably better than my imagination. Well, mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't need to talk about all that, but I think that that's not usually true. However, the betrayed spouse needs to know the truth. And I've sat in on many, many truth sessions with couples where the betrayed spouse was making it very clear that I know that if you're going to be honest, that the answers are you need to give me are going to be painful. Mm -hmm. And I can't even promise you that I'm not going to respond to that and feel deeply hurt and maybe even get angry. But what I'm telling you is that your willingness to be honest is the beginning of me figuring out if I can trust you again. Mm -hmm. Your honesty is more important to me mm -hmm. than you're trying to protect me and control the information and lie, yeah. you know, by any other motive. So what I'm hearing you say in effect is really what's important isn't the information part but the willingness to share information yes. on the part of the person who had the affair. Mm -hmm. That's really what the focus should be. Right. No matter whether all the stuff gets talked about or not, the fact is the person who had the affair needs to be willing to share that and yes. be completely transparent no matter right. what is asked of them, no matter how uncomfortable it might seem. Right. They just need to have that heart of willingness to be vulnerable and disclose everything. Yeah, I, I think that in most cases, if a betrayed spouse starts asking questions that the unfaithful spouse is uncomfortable with and didn't want to answer, mm -hmm. they probably need to be willing to be honest anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe say, hey, you know, can we go to talk to a counselor? <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to be honest with you, but can we get some advice and to help us through this so that we don't do more damage to ourselves? That'd be great. Sure, you know, to have to some kind of mediator. But there needs to be a commitment to honesty mm -hmm. more than a commitment to, well, I'm going to control what you hear mm -hmm. because I'm determining what's better for you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The next idea that I think is a misbelief or myth, and we've talked about this before, probably several times, but it's this idea that forgiveness requires trusting. Mm -hmm. That if an injured partner or spouse is going to forgive an affair partner, then that means that they must be recommitting to their marriage mm -hmm. and they've got to make things work. And I don't think that that's true no, at all. No, no, not at all. I mean, we encourage people to forgive. Sure. We, there's, there is healing and forgiveness. Oh, absolutely. But genuine forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that the marriage is going to survive. No, no. I have forgiven my ex-husband. I really have. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have any animosity toward him. Not that I've forgotten what happened. I still remember, yeah. you know, things that happened and everything. But I don't have any animosity toward him. And that's for me. Because I'm not in contact with him. So it wasn't for him that right. I forgave. It's for me, my own health, that I forgave him. But that didn't mean that I was going to go back to the marriage. 
think one of the reasons we're talking about this again is because it is so important, especially if you are a betrayed spouse, to understand that deciding whether or not you're going to forgive your spouse does not obligate you to choices beyond that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times there is a social pressure, Mm -hmm. sometimes even a um, maybe a religious pressure. Yes. From certain you know, churches or viewpoints that almost give the impression that if you have a right kind of heart, you're going to be willing to forgive them mm-hmm. and commit to this marriage again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've seen people under that pressure really working to forgive and get trust back into relationships where I don't think they should be trusting their partner. Right. The right well, kind of work hasn't been done. Sure. So you need to separate those things. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Right. But we also encounter many people that come from certain parts of that background, certain areas that feel a lot of pressure to maintain a marriage despite mm-hmm. how broken mm-hmm. it's become. Mm-hmm. And I think both you and I have the heart to come alongside, especially betrayed spouses, who feel an unreasonable pressure that if I'm a good person, if I'm a godly person, I'm a good Christian or whatever, then what I need to do is just be willing, no matter what's happened, to be committed to rebuilding my marriage. And we want to say, not only do we disagree with that, I don't even think God agrees with that. No, no. Because, you know, you can't go and save your marriage on your own. If you Mm -hmm. are with a spouse who is not doing their part in rebuilding things. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'll even go beyond that. Even if they say they want to rebuild their marriage, I think the Bible's very clear that if the vows have been broken, you are not obligated Mm -hmm. to trust them again. Maybe that has so wounded and damaged your heart that the healthiest thing for you to do Mm -hmm. is to forgive, but to walk out Mm -hmm. and and choose to maybe never trust again. Mm -hmm. We love it when couples do survive and and trust is, is... rediscovered and and becomes very strong in a relationship again we we love for that to happen mm-hmm. but we want to be very careful that that is not the necessarily expectation or obligation for every person that's been wounded by right 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 forgiveness can, and trust are separate things. yeah you can absolutely forgive somebody without reuniting with them and you can forgive somebody with reuniting yes. with them yep. you know as we talk about some of these things uh, people may have questions they may be wondering about how does this apply to my specific situations Mm -hmm. you and I both Jennifer too is also a counselor with us but we offer coaching Mm -hmm. phone coaching for people Mm -hmm. and if that's something that might be helpful to you as a listener go to fairhealing.com slash coaching and you'll get information about how you can do that and you can sign up to talk to Sharon or me and we'd be happy to help you more specifically in whatever you're dealing with And another one of these myths that hit home to me was where people kind of believe that it's too personal to talk about with anyone. In my first marriage, my husband was kind of a public person. A lot of people looked up to him and I felt like I would be dragging his name through the mud and damaging his reputation by telling anybody what was going on. And so I didn't tell anyone. I, I We did start to go to counseling. Then my ex-husband decided that he didn't want to do that anymore. And we didn't need to go to counseling anymore. So he stopped. 
I wish I had gone by myself at the time. I didn't even think about that at the time. But I ended up with fibromyalgia, which is a, an autoimmune disorder. And I ended up with that, you know, toward the last year of our marriage. And I really, truly believe that part of that was because I swallowed all of that stress and kept all of that. Yeah, yeah, I kept it all in. I never talked to anybody about it. We really encourage people to have at least one person that you trust, one person that you really feel like has your back, cares about you, will not judge, but will be there for you so that you aren't going through it all alone and just swallowing all that toxic emotion and, and all of that stress and anxiety. Yeah. When I, when I listen to you say you didn't want to necessarily share those things publicly that might damage his reputation and so yeah. forth. I mean, I think there's something that's okay with that. I don't, I'm not yeah. saying every betrayed spouse needs to go out on a street corner and no. just start proclaiming, hey, my, no. you know, my spouse is a cheater and all no, that stuff. No, I never would That can do, do a lot that. of damage there. Mm -mm. But you went to the other extreme. I went to the I'm other extreme. I'm not going to share it with anybody. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. And actually, you do have to have somebody you trust. Somebody that right. really can just can listen without judging, not judge anybody involved, but just kind of listen and be there for you. Yeah, and it'd be kind of good if they didn't have a reputation as a gossip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's part of the trusting. And I also think that, you know, sharing with somebody that you can believe that the choices you're making, they will support. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that they're the choices they would make, mm -hmm. they will support you in, in the choices. In other words, if you are deciding that you are going to move away from your marriage or that you're going to move back into trying to restore your marriage again, mm -hmm. that that person will support you mm -hmm. in that choice mm -hmm. and decision and isn't going to constantly be working against you to try to shame you or argue with you. That right. Sort of thing. Yeah. So if you're a betrayed spouse listening to this and you have really been keeping this under wraps and kind of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and going on alone, you know, we would just really encourage you to try to find somebody, just at least one person, whether it's a family member or a friend that you really do trust that they are going to hear you and be there for you, not judge what you're deciding to do, um, but just really care mostly about what's what's in your best interest for your healing. I would say the same thing to an unfaithful spouse or partner. Yeah. yeah. Instead of keeping everything in, mm -hmm. even beyond talking to a counselor sometimes, I say, listen, do you have somebody that you trust that cares about you? that you can be honest with them about what's going on mm -hmm. and what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. It can be healing. It's, sure. it's hard. It's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But being that vulnerable about what you've done and what you're going through can be an important part of the healing process. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things that lead to healing can be hard and embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah. I think that's just part of the growth process is the growing pains is when, you know, you have to go through a little bit of humility, vulnerability in order to get well. Let me mention one more myth or misunderstanding about affairs. It's the idea that the betrayed spouse is going to feel relieved once they get the answer to the why question about an affair. Mm -hmm. Once my spouse can tell me why they had this affair, then I'm going to get relief. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I hardly ever see that happening. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because many times the expectation of the why answer or answers is that that answer will provide the clear reason why this person lied to me and betrayed me. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, 
the reason is because they were acting selfishly. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> when we work with someone to try to understand why they had an affair, we're not talking about the reasons. What were the reasons or the causes to your affair? Because ultimately, they're responsible. They're the cause. They made a choice. Sure. But what we're looking at are what were the vulnerabilities in your life? We look mm -hmm. at personal history. We look at um, the relationship dynamics. We look at personality, beliefs, those kinds of things. We look at the unique circumstances that might have been in play. Those are the kinds of things we look at to identify the vulnerabilities that contributed to the ease at which this person mm -hmm. made that betrayal choice. Right. Yeah. It, it Because there's so much that goes into it. There's so much. I try to tell people that it's so complicated. Yeah. Very, very, very complex. I would say each affair has its own DNA. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. say it's that complex right. as to what led to the actual thing. Right. So, so identifying those vulnerabilities are important because when you understand those and you have insight into them, it gives you some targets for change. Mm -hmm. It gives you some areas where you know you're going to have to establish new boundaries in your life. Mm -hmm. And if you give attention to those things, you diminish the vulnerability in the future. Sure. But here's the problem. Even if someone could identify 100% of the vulnerabilities in their life, which probably isn't even possible. <laughs> right. But if they could get, if, even if they could, they got all the big ones and the little ones, and they could sit down with their spouse and say, listen, I know every single vulnerability that was going on in my life that contributed to my making that choice. And they explained them completely and fully. The betrayed spouse could still look across and say, yeah, but you still didn't have to have an affair. Right. Totally. It always comes down to, yep. They made the choice. I know. That's why forgiveness is necessary. Yeah. If it was just about cause and effect, then we could define the causes. You could put all the blame on the cause. Let's fix that. And now I never have to fear you betraying me again. Right. But it's a little bit fuzzier. Than yeah. That. Well, that's what I was, I was just going to say. It's ephemeral. It's like very wispy, like the actual thing. I don't know. You just can't quite, it's not tangible. Well, you can't the quite end, put your finger in, on in it. In the end, it's selfishness. It's the well, end. Well, absolutely. Me I mean, having this affair for all these reasons or whatever, I convinced myself that that felt better or mm -hmm. I wanted that more or mm -hmm. there was more benefit to me mm -hmm. and I wasn't considering you or the promises I made. I just did what I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> And they're either sorry for that mm -hmm. and have a clear path to how that's going to change so I make you safe in the future or not. Mm -hmm. But it still leaves the betrayed spouse with having to look at the explanation, not having a guarantee that this couldn't happen again, knowing that there's still some vulnerability moving forward. Mm -hmm. But then the choice of, am I going to forgive you for your selfishness or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's no single thing or even group of answers explains your responsibility away. Mm -hmm. So they're still left with the unfaithful partner's responsibility and the betrayed partner has to look at that thing mm -hmm. and say, am I going to forgive it yeah. and move past it yeah. or not? When it comes to trusting, that's much more of a concrete thing. Yeah. Because whether you trust in the future or not is going to be based on clear examples of behavior shifts yes. that demonstrate a trustworthiness. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Getting answers, clear answers to the why questions, the vulnerabilities, are not necessarily going to make the betrayed spouse feel all relieved. Mm -mm. It, I've, again, I've never seen that happen. Mm -hmm. And there's that hope and expectation that once I get that answer, whew, yeah. everything's explained. I know. No. You still have to face the fact you married somebody who promised they'd never do it and they did it and they chose to do it. Mm -hmm. Are they sorry? 
Are they demonstrating the fact that they're generally sorry? Are you going to choose to forgive? And then you can work on the trust moving mm-hmm. forward. So there you have it, six affair recovery myths. But I'll tell you what, we've got five more that we could talk about. We're not going to spend time doing it in this podcast, but I've put together a quick guide that summarizes the six we've talked about and the additional five that we haven't. And that's available simply by going to the podcast page for this affair recovery episode. Go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 212. That's affairrecovery.com slash podcast 212. And you'll see this podcast and the downloadable quick guide for 11 affair recovery myths. Thank you for listening. Bye. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for affair recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to AffairHealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.